False Bottom Girls guides listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson, and I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm also an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the Beer Quality and Education Manager for Orpheus Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone, and welcome to our podcast. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of False Bottom Girls, and today we are talking, we've kind of touched on the subject a little bit before, um, but we're talking about beer style guidelines. Um, really, I think for both of us, more specifically, the beer judge certification BJCP style guidelines, because those are the ones that are used most frequently for, uh, for beer judging, for homebrew competitions, for some professional competitions. Um, but we'll touch a little bit on a couple of the other guidelines that are out there. Um, so yeah, Rachel, how you doing? Good. I actually like in looking back and so what we're doing today is we're ta- we're going to look at the different versions of the BJC guidelines that they have had over the years and how they have differed from each other. And I got to say, when we started this, or we had this idea, I was like, oh yeah, 2015 guidelines, which are the current ones available, like the most up-to-date. And then 2008. And then, and then Jen makes a little folder with all the guidelines as it goes back to 90, 1997. I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot more sense that this isn't like the first and second. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I forget like brewing has been going, home brewing and beer competitions have been going on since the nineties, probably even the eighties. Um, right. So this has been a thing. So we're looking at one, two, three, four, five different sets of BJC styles and how they've evolved over time. Right. And we're not going like too in depth into some of them, but it is interesting to see how they have evolved. And I don't know, like if you looked at the ones from 1997, it was kind of like there is Pilsner and alt beer and like amber ale and it's like maybe i think like what like an eight page document and there's also pictures (laughs) in it yes and like there's not they are definitely not as robust as they have been uh with the 2008 and then of course the 2015 oh yeah guidelines i think we should just kind of start with 1997 and kind of, I don't know, I I have some different notes of stuff that I noticed that I thought was interesting. Um, So five sets of guidelines. First one was done in 1997. Second one, 1999. Third one, 2004. Fourth one, 2008. And fifth one, 2015. Gosh, I feel like we're due. I don't really want them to redo them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they are. But they're just kind of due for a new one. Yeah. So the last I heard was they were planning to do a 2020 version. Um, so yes. how it's almost Clearly that did not happen. Right. <laughs> um, it should be on the the horizon. But, you know, really, when I think about the 2015 <laughs> guidelines, there aren't there aren't a ton of new styles that have been introduced that aren't covered. Yeah. In there. And they also have, you know, they've done like they've added New England IPA, they've added the Katharina Sour, they've added Italian Pilsner. So they do have different styles that they'll kind of make addendums 
for. But yeah, oh. definitely not like the Brewers Association that redoes it every single year. I just to go back, you said they have added some addendums to 2015 one. Mm-hmm. So like like for an example, because I, I guess I didn't realize that. So um, when I pull up the, the guidelines, like the PFD document on 2015, where can I find like Italian Pilsner? Oh, it's not in the PDF. Oh, okay. I so understand. it's on the, you can find it if you have the app. Uh, it's uh, in the app. Oh, and I probably it's have also, to update that or something. It's also on the BJCP website. Okay. Um, so I will say with the app, um, if you have an iPhone, I'm not, sh- I think it's similar if you have an Android, but you have to open it up and scroll all the way to the bottom. And that's where you'll see provisional styles listed. I must have to update my app or something. I do not see that, but I have not done any sort of updating. I don't know. Yeah. So like I had mentioned, the, the other guidelines that in the brewing industry that you would interact with the, I guess it depends on what kinds of competitions you enter, but Brewers Association also has guidelines. Those Mm -hmm. are updated at least once a year. And, um, you know, with the BJCP guidelines, those are updated infrequently. In both yeah. cases, they're largely decided by very small groups of men. And yeah. the the difference is with the Brewers Association, they do them each year, but they also solicit feedback from judges at GABF on how to update the guidelines so they can update it. Um, you know, with is there something that needs to be updated within the style? Do styles need to be added? Um, or, you know, our brewer scene, and we kind of talked about this in our style episode we did on Black IPA, like here's something that's being called a bunch of different things. Could it be just in one category? Um, so the, the BA does a good job with that and the BJCP does not. Yeah. Um, and again, the Brewers that's... Association has full-time staff members whose exactly. job it is updated every year. The BJCP doesn't. They, there's yeah. an entirely volunteer organization, but they also... Uh, are not welcoming to allowing other people in to be able to um, assist with let's define styles, let's decide what styles should be included and what styles shouldn't be. Um, But yeah, Rachel, like you said, the first formal set of style guidelines was in 1997. And those were derived from the New England homebrew guidelines. Ah, and they were the first the first set of guidelines was authored by three people. Um, and since then it's kind of been the same group that updates the guidelines each year after that. But yeah, I'll have to look and see if I can find a, a copy of like the New England homebrew guidelines. I would be interested in like chasing down all of the craft beer guidelines that are out there uh, because I didn't realize that, you know, the, this was derived from something. I, I've always known it as the BJCP, yeah, a group of like five guys decided to write these guidelines and weren't really intending for them to, or weren't foreseeing them to be adopted the way that they were yeah. in the beer industry. But yeah, talk to us about the 1997 guidelines. Oh, yeah. Uh, so like Jen mentioned, eight pages worth. And that that's because they, the, they don't have a huge like um, description section of the beer. When we're talking about the the style guidelines, first, if you haven't 
already downloaded a PDF of the BJCP style guidelines and or the app on your phone, um, I highly, highly recommend it. I think we talk about this a lot. It is the absolute best resource for learning more about beer and it's free and you can download it onto your phone. So you always have it available. But when we're talking about beer styles, we're talking about, you know, that collection of qualities that form the style. And so the way the, the guidelines are organized is there's going to be objective measurable attributes, and then there's going to be subjective measurable attributes. So for each style that has been, again, when we're talking about the BJCP guidelines, and we'll talk about this as we go through them, how they've changed over time, the, a lot of times the names change. Um, so you might see something called a Dortmund export in earlier guidelines, and now it's called a German Helles export beer. That is, again, like that's, there's no beer style police, um, and <laughs> they have changed the names as it has made sense. But when we're talking about the objective measurable attributes, what you'll see in the, the BJCP guidelines is going to be the color, the alcoholic strength, bitterness, um, you'll also see the gravity written in there, the original and finishing gravity, which I always think is a little weird because like you don't, I guess it's good if you're trying to build a recipe, but it's not like when you're doing a beer judging, you don't have like a refractometer there to judge no. the gravity. No, uh, but, or, or no, or the IBUs or the S I mean, there's all right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's a very good thing. And I will not go very far down this path, but I have gotten score sheets back before or seen score sheets where the judge will write something like you should adjust this downward by five IBUs. And that is oh terrible. Come F on. That is terrible feedback. You don't you know don't, what the IBUs are. You don't know. And you don't you like that's not good. You can say you should try to make it less bitter. Yeah. That's valuable feedback. But it's saying that you should adjust it by the specific number of IBUs. If you do that, stop it immediately you, and don't do it ever again. Because, you, because you're, you're full not. of bullshit because yeah, you don't know exactly. anything. You don't know anything. Okay. You right. don't know enough that you don't know that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because you yes. can't do that unless you have the lab, the equipment, the know-how, the, the money. Like you're not going to do that. You don't know. So shut up. Right. And as a judge, you don't taste IBUs. That makes me you mad. taste yes. perceived bitterness. And plus, if like really you nobody can really taste over a certain amount of IBUs anyways. Right. Like right. like a low amount. I don't know the exact number, but like it's all perceived at that point. Right. Right. And if you want to know more about oh, bitterness, that makes me mad. See, if you want to know more about why it makes us <laughs> both so mad that somebody would put that on a score sheet, you can go listen to our episode on bitterness. Uh, but yeah, so the, the BJCP guidelines will give you those objective measurable attributes of a beer style. And then they also give you a subjective attribute that is going to be, they talk about the aroma, the flavor, the mouthfeel, the texture, um, which is kind of mouthfeel anyway. So they will give you, uh, and then appearance. So mm -hmm. the BJCP guidelines will give you aroma, appearance, flavor and mouthfeel and then an overall impression. So the important thing to remember though about styles and they do, and we'll get to this, I got uh, some real stuck mashes um, <laughs> reading through the commentary on the BJCP guidelines that we'll get to you. But the most important thing to remember is that these are all about consensus and they evolve over time. 
Um, but that's also part of why I continue to say like this, these guidelines are being written by the same very small group of people with very similar worldviews and very similar experiences um, that don't necessarily reflect everyone who's enjoying beer or brewing beer. So that's the the consensus and the evolution is an important thing to keep in mind. So with that, Rachel, tell us a little bit then, like that's how the, the newest set of guidelines are now. And I think that's how they were that's how they Starting were somewhere, but not yeah. in 1997. Yeah. Well, the first set, there are just one of a short paragraph. I, I like five, six lines of a description about that, that style that they're saying. So like they have, I think it's also important to note throughout each set of guidelines, you have your, like you have your style one and then you have sub styles of those. So like, Style one is American light lager um, in 1997, and it had four substyles, A being light slash standard slash premium, some B, malt liquor, C, dark, and D, classic, which is pre-prohibition lager. Um, that, that's kind of, you know, that's obviously very different than what it is today. Um, I don't know. I don't like it because malt liquor I don't know. under american light lager under american light lager <laughs> dark, right the substyle dark <laughs> right right we both recently took the aroxa practical beer taster training and that's one thing that dr simpson says a lot that i i have been finding this in my own sensory vocabulary and trying to correct it when i can is that every descriptor should have one meaning and every meaning should have one descriptor. And that's so, you know, things like biscuity, herbal, dank, those aren't really great descriptors because they're subject to interpretation. So yeah, looking at like putting light standard premium all in American light lager. And I understand that this is very much a product of its time. Yes. But yes, that's those, those are three separate it's categories kind of now because they're three distinct styles. Yes. And yeah, dark is not a, a light longer. A style. <laughs> yeah. One thing I also thought was funny is uh so IPA is one category until for 1997 and 1999. It's not until 2004. In 2008, it has three categories. So like it's IPA, that's it. You, you have IPA, you entered under IPA. 2004, they finally expand to English IPA, American IPA, and Imperial IPA. That stays the same in 2008, which is kind of surprising because Black IPAs were out there commercially. I remember because of my time at um, Capitol Oil House, mm-hmm. like I associate you know, my ages with what I was drinking. I remember drinking these these black IPAs, but you know, whatever. And then, uh, 2015, that's when we get this burst of IPAs into these style guidelines. So it's really to show you how much that style grew over time. Right. Um, Well, and the other thing with that, they talk about this in the, the commentary to the 2015 guidelines, which the, as angry as so many things make me in that commentary, it is very good because it does explain 
a lot of the process, whereas before you didn't have that kind of insight. But one of the things they said was that they're not trying to define every beer style. So if you look at like, the Brewers Association guidelines, they have a lot more beer styles listed than the BJCP guidelines do. Um, but they, what gets included is subject to the author's interpretations. And again, authors being like five people. And, you know, it's, so it's styles that are obscure or unpopular. One of the most important things is homebrewers, whether they're brewing the style. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can see why something like black IPA may not have been True. in the earlier style of the guidelines because yes, it may have been commercially available, but homebrewers weren't brewing it. So they very much developed these to be used uh, or they were first and foremost developed to be used at competitions. Yeah. When you're judging for homebrewers. Right. Because the Brewers Association was always using BA guidelines. Correct. And they've been around for a long time, just as long as all this. So Right. right. And their styles are not significantly different in like, if they if Brewers Association has a black IPA, it's kind of the it's the same description basically as the BJC stuff. It's not going to be different in that sense, but they include different styles. And that's because uh, one, like Jen said, they have a staff that could update it every year. Two, this is a professional brewing competition where they need to adapt to the market, like what's being brewed this year, you know. And so, right. oh, everyone's doing this New England style now. We should add that. Um, and that's important. That's right. way more important than updating BJCP every year. In right. my opinion. Yeah, no. And I, and I agree. And I don't, I mean, truly, I don't think that the BJCP guidelines have to be updated every year. No, like said, I, don't think I totally, so. I totally get why the Brewers Association does. Yeah. And when they're updated, they're very minor updates. Yeah. I think 2017, no, 2018 was when they introduced the juicy hazy category or like all of those subcategories um so that that was really the last like big update the ba did and otherwise it'll say like hey we're moving this one style to historical styles or we're combining these two styles or we're moving pulling them apart right yeah we're pulling them apart or we're moving this from this subcategory to this subcategory uh yeah i remember they're also very good at like telling you what exactly what changed and why yeah. I remember the first year we entered Belgian double or we might. Well, I don't know if we actually entered it, but we were looking at it and it was like Belgian double, Belgian dark, strong ale, you know, Belgian, you know, it's all like together with all these other Belgians. You're like, oh, and then the next year, Belgian double was by itself. And you're like, oh, that makes a game changer because now I don't yeah. have to against these other styles, which are, you know, if you have one Belgian double and one Belgian dark strong, they're both good. That doesn't matter the different styles. They go. So it's a little, right. a little sucky, but another one I thought was cool. Stein beer was mm-hmm. something. And this is the 1997. They had something called Stein beer, which uh, is more of a method of brewing than a mm-hmm. style. Uh, it's a process that adds like unique flavor to the beer made by um, heating up stones, getting them super hot and putting them in the beer wart and gives it like a distinctive, like smoky coffee, uh, toffee kind of less dry with a long roundish finish beer mm-hmm. but um that was gone after 1997 the 1999 guidelines did not include that yeah um, and because- so, i mean same beer is something that a lot of homebrewers still do um yeah but it's yeah i think that 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 is one of the ones that 
I, I thought it was kind of funny too, because it's under the smoke flavored beer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the Keller beer in the 2015 guidelines is the same kind of thing. When you read it, it's like, we're talking about a method of service. Yeah. Not an actual beer style. style. And they actually talk about that, like in the commentary for the Keller beer for pale and amber Keller beer is this isn't a style you don't really brew a color beer. It's like you brew a Hellas and then you serve it off the tank yeah. when it's still pretty young or it's you like brew saying, a Mertzen and serve it off the tank when it's pretty young. Yeah. You're not brewing. Like there's not a color beer recipe. Yeah. It's like cask. Yeah, it, exactly. It's a method of service. So that's, yeah. um, this is one of those ones that, yeah, I was kind of surprised to see too, because it was like, this isn't really, yeah, it's a method. It's like, if you had a category that was for like decoction beers, yeah. <laughs> and yes. yeah, it doesn't really, some things like, like Scottish ale, for example, Scottish ale category has been the same the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one down. <laughs> and I really like the way that they had it actually laid out in the 2008 guidelines, because when you are reading the 2015 guidelines, you know, each one has its own entry but the only thing that changes incrementally is the, the stats, right? Like the actual yeah. objective measurements, it has the exact same description for every single one. And I remember talking to a friend as she was preparing to take one of her Cicerone exams and she was like, what the fuck with the Scottish ales? Like they're all <laughs> exactly the same. Why are they three different? Like they're three different styles, you know, that's understandable, yeah. but the description is exactly the same for each one of them. So what I liked about the 2008 guidelines was they just gave you the description. It's kind of like the, like yeah. Saison, where yeah. it gives you the description and then it's like, you know, the light heavy export, the same way that Saison is laid out as like table, um, standard and super standard and super. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I liked that better in the 2008 guidelines, because it, I think it makes it make more yeah. sense. Yeah. Rather than reading it and being like, wait, I just, I swear, I just read this description for the yeah. other beer and then realizing that <laughs> and you And like did. trying to like dissect how one's different than the other. And I don't want, if it's moderately versus medium, is that a difference? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah. and something else I thought was funny. Uh, there's a, cat, a category called European Dark Lager and one of its sub beers are Continental Dark. And I was like, that is the future international dark lager category, right? Yeah. There. Well, <laughs> and like, I think so you can see how these are right. going to be, but as you're reading through that also, like that's where that the American light lager there's dark, like this is the same, same yeah. thing. And really even in the two up through the 2008 guidelines, you can see the way that they were trying to delineate like American lager and American Pilsner. And it was basically the exact same thing. And, you know, so I, I do like that for the 2015 guidelines, particularly with the loggers. I think it does the best job of actually breaking loggers out into their respective homes, like, you know, treating the ones that are truly their own style as their own yeah. style, rather than saying like, you know, Budweiser is a Pilsner. It's not, it's never, it never has been. It's always been its oh, own yeah. thing. It's always been an American lager. And that's not the same thing as a Pilsner. You know, the top, I know I might've told you this before. I don't think I've said it on the podcast though, but the top 40 selling beers in the United States, 39 of them are lagers. Oh, we learned that in a class. Yeah. 39 of them are lagers. 
out of 40, the top selling beers in the world, in the world, not United States. Right. Number 40 is Guinness. If you're yeah. curious, if you're yep. curious, but Lagers are a big deal. So they need to, they have lots of distinctions. In the 1997 one, they had a um, Scandinavian Dutch Pilsner. I thought right. that was uh, interesting. Which that's is the only, Heineken. Like that's, that's the only stuff. Yes. It's just Heineken. <laughs> My, yep, exactly. Except, so this this style, style was described as being like, Similar to German pills, but lower in like everything, lower in hop content, lower in gravity, a uh, little bit hop, hop flavors lower, and it can use rice or corn. And so I was like looking at it, I was like, this is basically like Hell's Export Lager, but with adjuncts. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not even because the Dortmunder export is the German Hellas export. Um, but yeah, like the yes. Scandinavian Dutch Pilsner is, yeah, is Heineken. Like now it's international yeah. pale lager. Yeah. So I yeah, they, interesting. I, I have um, this is a looking at the 1997, and then we'll we'll move on from the 1997. But yeah. um, I can tell how old a beer judge is, which they're all old, uh, but they have been around an especially long time and are probably especially obnoxious when they refer <laughs> to a German pills as a Northern German pilsner. Um, and that is in the 1997. I don't, re I don't recall if it's in like when it actually just got changed to German pills, but yes. one of the, the most recent sets of, uh, BJCP tasting exams that I was grading. One of the, the proctors said something like, this is an excellent example of a Northern German pills. And it's like, okay, there's the no name, Southern the German changed. pills. Right. And the name it's has like, changed. Like now it's a yeah. German pills and yeah. calling it a Northern German pills. Again, going back to the language that you're using. True. Only serves to confuse the person who thought they entered a German pills. And now you're saying it's a Northern German pills. And yeah. And it makes you think like, well, what, what's a Southern, what's a Southern German, German pills? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm pretty sure they taste the same. Right. Yes. Germany does brew different beers in different areas of the country, but Pilsner I no, no, it's not. Uh, it's not a uh, northern and southern thing. Right. Yeah. Again, like the Pilsner and the lager distinctions in the earlier guidelines are very much a reflection of the time. Like if you've ever read the Pilsner Brewers publication, it is awful. It is so bad. <laughs> And it's not because the people who wrote it did a bad job, but it's also very old. Like it talks about East Germany and Czechoslovakia and um, talks about the same kind of thing for a very long time up until very recently. Something like Budweiser was called a Pilsner when it yeah. is not a Pilsner, True. it's a lager. So let's <laughs> jump into the 2004 <laughs> guidelines. Yeah. And these are, again, like looking at the guidelines through the years, this was really helpful for me also. This is the first time I've looked at them like this all together. And it, again, it's very much of yeah. its time where suddenly like there's all kinds of, of beer styles. And we've gone from the eight pages in 1997 that has no parameters, no flavor descriptions really to like this 46 page document that has the, you know, here's notes, here's some front matter. And this is where we see like the aroma, the appearance, the flavor, all of that um, start being delineated for each one of the styles, which exactly thinking back to 2004, 
you know, that makes a lot of sense. Like that's, that's when craft beer is starting to pick up and when homebrewing is starting to pick up. Um, so there's an increased need of, we need to have more like robust guidelines. Although I say this as I look over and I see in the description for Munich Hellas, the overall impression <laughs> that says multi, but fully attenuated. What does that mean? That doesn't tell me. <laughs> I, I can read it and I can reverse engineer in my head what that's supposed to mean. First of all, don't ever use multi. I will dip my toe into one of my stock mashes about these guidelines. But when I'm like really looking at um, particularly some of the earlier versions of the guidelines. So the 2004 is definitely like this using something in the overall impression um, using language, like saying it's fully attenuated. I know what that means. You know what that means. Some of our listeners might not know or may know what it means, but I'm guessing a lot of people don't, or, you know, you really have to think about like go through that theory of, what is attenuation? What does it mean for something to be fully attenuated? So it's written from a very technical mm -hmm. viewpoint that doesn't make this approachable. So again, we're talking about perceived gatekeeping within some of these organizations, using technical language like that for people who are hobbyists and people who are, you know, there on a weekend learning how to judge beer. Um, that's a terrible you know, a yeah. terrible decision to make and using, using that kind of technical language in guidelines. I don't see it um, in the newer guidelines. So I'm really happy that they evolved past that at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One, one thing, um, the 2004 guidelines, the first time that Baltic Porter is, a, is a, uh, oh, a style. Okay. It's also, we also have two new categories, which I know you're going to hate light hybrid beer and amber hybrid beer. Yes, I did see that, <laughs> which, you know, I don't, I do. So one of the things that I like about kind of breaking it out like this is that I have heard from people who, you know, did like the beer judge training or they're learning about styles. Um, that concept, I don't, I still don't like the name hybrid. Yeah. But I think the way that this is organized makes it easier for people to understand that these are beers that have um, kind of an anachronism in the way that they're brewed. Yeah. But yeah, I still don't like hybrid because it's not a hybrid. Like a California yeah. common is a lager and it's just a lager fermented at ale temperatures. Yeah, because you, you're exactly right. These are still ales or lagers. Right. depending on the yeast strain. Right. I do they think are... that it would be helpful for them to do something like, so they've got American wheat beer in here. And we've talked about American wheat beer. There are a handful of beer styles that can be brewed with either ale yeah. or lager yeast. So American wheat beer is one of them, Baltic Porter. Um, yeah, that's true. And they did for an extra, uh, for an extra stout or no, I'm sorry, tropical stout that can be <laughs> lager or ale yeast. So those are good, good things I think to highlight because it's important to keep that in mind when you're judging something that, you know, this could be brewed with an ale yeast or a lager yeast. Or of course, if you're brewing with it, you know, a tropical stout can be used with ale yeast or lager yeast. And it says that in the guidelines. So I do like having it, having those kind of call outs specifically about there is something different. But it is confusing process. because like you just said, for an extra stout, Baltic Porter are also this quote unquote hybrid, which are not in the hybrid 
categories, which are in their own respective category, Baltic quarters and porter, foreign extra stouts and stout, which makes which makes sense. But right. now I have but now I have a disconnect if I don't really know that, you know. Right, exactly. And that's and yeah, and that's but what are you gonna do? Like right. <laughs> right. So yeah, I think one of the other things that the 2015 guidelines do that are really good is adding tags. And I haven't looked to see if there's a tag on tropical stout saying this can also be brewed with lager yeast. It does say that like in mm-hmm. the description, but I, I do like that one of the ways they kind of helped bridge those disconnects was to add tags to the different styles. And then they've got a key at the beginning of the guidelines explaining what the tags mean. But yes, and the 2004 guidelines have the same kind of setup that I really like with the Scottish ales, where they just say the description is going to be basically the exact same for each one. This is just how they differ a little bit. The 2004 and the 2008 don't seem terribly different. I, you know, I really don't think that they are. Yeah, they're pretty similar. Trying to. Yeah, you know, they really are. And I know that that was a big deal. So when I first started judging, we were using the 2008 guidelines and it was a kind of a big deal. And I I have to imagine it will be the same way for me when they come out with the new set of guidelines, depending on how much they change. But between the 2008 and the 2015 guidelines, they changed a lot. They did a major overhaul, really more so in how they categorized beer styles. So it went from light lager where they have light American lager, standard American lager, premium American lager, Munich, Hellas, and Dormunder Export. They exploded those styles out and kind of reshuffled them into different categories. Um, And that is an important thing to keep in mind when you're looking at the style guidelines um, from, from any time. I can't imagine that you would be looking like using any of the older ones as a reference, but they do specifically say in the, the 2015 guidelines that the subcategory is the style and the category mm-hmm. name identifies a major characteristic of yeah. one type. That's important. Of the beer and the, or I'm sorry, that the subcategory identifies the major characteristic of one type of beer, whereas the larger categories are arbitrary groupings. Yes. No, that isn't really important because it's just like what amber multi European beer. You're just describing color and where it's from. Right. Basically. Exactly. Points of origin. Um, so it's not like a uh, style to get so wrapped around. I, right. But yeah, it is I, more evocative than like the light lager category of your, you know, like those are. I, I definitely think that the groupings as they have them now make a little more sense is only every once in a while that you run into a couple of like catch-all categories where it's like the, um, I think it's the strong European lager that has like Doppelbach, Icebach, and then Baltic Porter. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. They all fit sure. there, but yeah. Um, it. I, I think that it's, yeah, I would be interested to learn more on the decisions that were made because up until 2015, I believe like box had their own category where it was, here's every type of box. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super helpful to, you know, to be able to visualize like, here's every box. Here is every beer made with wheat. You know, here's every Porter, here's every IPA. 
but I think it also makes sense to do it as, you know, in a lot of places they did it geographically. Mm -hmm. I was just like, like super checking, double checking real quick. And the table of contents for 2004, 2008 are the exact same. Oh, and so I'm wondering, I haven't like really looked too hard, but I guess probably the descriptions were just beefed up. Maybe some commercial examples were added. Um, maybe some stats were changed. I, you know, I didn't look into that, but yeah, from the style to the substyle, it's exactly the, the, the cider, the, the Perry, everything, the mead. You're like, what's yeah. going you know, it on does, over here? It does <laughs> seem like. 15 years ago, and I'm sure somebody at the BJCP could probably answer this for us, but it does seem like, you know, 15 years ago, it was very much like a, every five years, we're going to update the guidelines. And then like 2015 got hung up a little bit and now it's been six years and, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, well, is there going to be a new, a new set of guidelines coming out, but does there need to be, Yeah. Um, which there does, you know, I mean, I think a lot of the IPA like the 2015 guidelines again are very um, specific point in time that they, and really the 2015 guidelines came out in like 2013 or 14 and it very much reflects the what brewers and specifically home brewers were brewing at the time mm-hmm. when was the last time you saw a brown ipa or yeah. a, like or a, a red ipa like some of those have stuck around but not all of them and, you know, really kind of for good reason. And then, of course, with the provisional New England IPA, I think one of the areas, that's one of the biggest areas where the BJCP missed the mark is one in calling it a New England IPA, but then also saying that it had to be hazy because now the style has evolved to be more along the lines of like the Brewers Association guidelines, right? So it can be juicy or hazy or juicy and hazy but it doesn't have to be hazy and it doesn't have to be juicy, right? It can be either or, or both. And the BJCP guidelines say that it has to be hazy, like it should have significant haze. And that's not, you know, like the, that wasn't where the style was when they came out with that provisional style. And that's not where it evolved anyway. So I think that's one of the biggest ones where they missed the mark in terms of trying to predict mm-hmm. how the style was going to evolve. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about with, you know, with the 2015 guidelines, we ended up with over 100 beer styles outlined, mm-hmm. whereas with the earlier editions, it was probably around like 70, 75, I think. And of course, like in 1997, there were like 10, but, um, <laughs> you know, they, they didn't necessarily, well, I guess they did bring in some styles that like gosa shows up you know in the in the historical Mm -hmm. section which again at the time that was a historical beer that people were brewing but now now, that's like one of the top styles that's entered people who don't know that much about i get asked for that style a lot for not like huge beer dorks like just regular people whose tastes are evolving and they like that tartness and like some not I wouldn't say like do you have any goza specifically but like do you have any sour beer I get that you know and right it's definitely a it's definitely a thing it's our most popular beer right mm-hmm. so in my um this is where we just get to my all of my stock mashes about these guidelines 
And I think that it's, it's a good discussion point because I really have like, Rachel can attest, I was like hot the other day <laughs> making my notes for this episode, just as angry as I was going to get. And I guess it's just, and I keep thinking about it in part because I knew we were going to be recording this, but also just thinking about um, the, the privileges that we all have in the world and how I've always viewed my place in the beer industry as being a good steward of beer, right? Of making beer accessible to people, of making it educational, of making it a, a thing that anybody who wants to learn about it can learn about it. And how, you know, how can I do that for whoever my audience is? These guidelines are not written that way. They mm-hmm. are written from very high places of privilege and reflect that. And so I even have in my notes that the tone is defensive, patronizing white guy bullshit. And when there are so many things that just upset me when I was reading through it. Um, But, you know, like we said, it's a major revision from the 2008 edition. And so they made these, these revisions to better address the world beer styles as found in their local markets. That's something that I think is really important, um, keeping pace with emerging craft beer market trends, which again, like who, who was brewing beer in, you know, in the early 2000s or I guess 2010s and who decided mm-hmm. what the trends were going to be, um, but also describing historical beers that were starting to get a following Um, to better describe the sensory characteristics of modern brewing ingredients, to take advantage of new research and references, and to help competition organizers better manage the complexity of their events. So those were the reasons, Kevin, for the revisions. And um, this is where I start to get irritated because it's, I guess I shouldn't say that I'm, I'm, I can't be mad at people for not seeing their role within the industry the same way that I do. Right. Mm -hmm. And people don't have to take on the people don't have to approach beer and educating people about beer the same way I do, or treat it with the same kind of um, sense of responsibility to be again, to be a good steward. But man, if just if you read through it, it's all like, well, we didn't expect people to start using this the way that they have. But anyway, we're just going to keep doing it the way we want and everybody else can deal with it. (laughs) Um, So like one of the things that in my notes I have in all capital letters that says, let's talk about this bullshit sentence that says we understand that some names bring along political, ethnic or social conflict. We take no position on any of these. We're, ju- we're trying to describe beer, not settle disputes. Fuck you. That is a major fuck you. What a, like, what a position of privilege. Why do you even need to say that? Right. Like, what's so, okay, you are describing beer in a way of ingredients, origin. What, right. What is so offensive about describing beer except for the maybe the fact that you won't let anyone describe it with you <laughs> but right like but, wait, wait, i don't even understand the point of why they would even say that right well they're talking about names specifically yeah. so oh, style, like, uh, names. style okay uh, 
I understand. But even but, then, I don't, first but of like, all. Not to, like commercial examples. I don't know. Like, okay, I don't that know. Would make, that would make sense, I guess. This. But yeah, sure. the. <laughs> what do you mean? Being able to opt out of those kinds of discussions is a huge privilege, a huge privilege. Yeah. And most, not most, but a lot of people can't opt out of those kinds of conversations. And just to absolve yourself of any kind of sensitivity or bothering to learn why that might be the case is, you know, just reading through it, I was like, okay, but it really doesn't take a lot to not be an asshole or to not perpetuate yeah. something by putting it in here. Um, so that like, that was one of the things that reading through it, I was like, yeah, but again, a lot of people can't opt out of, of these kinds of discussions. And for a lot of people, especially now, which I know 2021 is not 2015, but yeah, even then, like there are there are people whose presence in a space is a political act, right? And they can't opt out of that. You can't opt out of those kinds of discussions. So I really was disappointed to read that even in 2015, right? Like that's not new. This, these aren't new issues and just the lack of sensitivity and just being like, well, we don't care. It doesn't bother us. So we're not going to, and I, and I don't have insight onto what exactly that means. There's nothing that I've read in the, in the actual that's, guidelines. That that's I've what been I'm like, like trying to like look for right now. Like what? Right. What could they mean by that? <laughs> right. This is a weird thing to say to me. It's just, it's, first of all, if you like, like you said, like we're, we're looking and we really don't understand what you mean. So it just seems like a bad weird move right just, well uh, yeah and as soon as I read it I was like wait what have I been missing in the guidelines yeah like, seriously so now, now I'm like looking <laughs> I'm like looking for like what's you know what's racy and and what's going on you know like what's the problem here but right and there's there's not but, I feel yeah, like you're trying just, to start a fight <laughs> like, like, right right and maybe and again intent versus impact maybe that's not what they meant but when I read it I was like why is this in here? And also, the only again, thing like, I could think of would be like commercial example names, because, you know, like there's breweries out there that will get weird with names like Flying Dog has had some, you know, discussions with officials about some of the names on their right. bottles. So I wonder if, if that if that is what they mean. Kind of makes sense to like have a uh, disclaimer, but don't be like. Well, it's just the way it is. So if you're offended, we, we don't really care. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but that's that's the whole thing is like you can also find a different commercial example. And now I would hope that if there well, I would hope now that there aren't commercial examples out there with offensive names, although I know that there are. Um, but I think, again, something like that is very powerful to say you are not being included, even though we consider this a commercial example. And this is why. Um, but yeah, then when they were talking about, you know, not every beer sale is defined, I I can get that. And I totally understand the guidelines being written based on what homebrewers are doing, because this is a guide for homebrew competitions, first mm -hmm. and foremost. It's evolved past that, of course, yeah. but some of the other reasons that they put for not defining every beer style 
is that it's from a part of the world we haven't extensively visited oh or something we believe is a passing fad and both of those i was like okay but just because you haven't extensively visited some place like i i haven't extensively visited a lot of places but i'm still have some pretty in-depth knowledge on a bunch of different beer styles and then it's like well what other beer styles are out there then that people aren't learning about because this group of guys you know eight years ago decided that they don't want to write about african sorghum beers or they don't want to write about chinese lagers Um, and you know i think we really got a good taste of that with the um, brewing historical styles book that lars um, gershaw came out with because it was filled with here are all of these beer styles that I know I a lot of them I hadn't heard of. And it's because they weren't part of like one part of what the Western world decided beer was going to be mm-hmm. a long time ago. And then also parts of the world that these guys haven't visited extensively. And so so many people are learning about beer styles, you know, because someplace like Cicerone requires BJCP style guidelines. Those are the styles you learn about. So then it's like, okay, but we're just perpetuating like this very like Western white male viewpoint when we're talking about who gets to evaluate styles, who gets to decide what the styles are, who gets to decide what a passing fad is. Yeah. You know, and I, a a few months ago, I was speaking with a home brewer from Brazil who was talking about how excited they were, they being Brazilian home brewers were that Katharina Sowers were introduced as a provisional beer style because it is a huge style there for them Mm -hmm. and it showcases a lot of their native fruits that you don't see anywhere else and he was talking about how proud he was to see that this style that they had all been brewing was getting recognized for that yeah so like that means something to people to see their brewing culture included and it means something for people to not see their brewing culture Mm -hmm. included so I guess, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Rachel, and I know we've talked about this um, a little bit before, and I know we post this question to our patrons on our Patreon account, but, and this is obviously isn't something that we would decide today in the time we have remaining, but it's more of maybe just a thought, you know, like a thought experiment of how should beer sales be selected? Yeah, I know. I I was thinking that too. Like if I could change BJCP, what would I do? And to be honest with you, I really don't know right now. But I think one thing that I would definitely do is try to like redo this language of like how they describe flavor and aroma and all of that because it's very just like like robotic in a way like okay we've we figured out this uh formula so let's just put in different words for different styles mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know it's it's not like like i can get it but I, you know when you're first like reading these i mean now it's different i've been looking at them for so long but you like you go in there you're like read you're like okay check premium pale 
and you know the aroma is medium to medium high, bready, rich, malt, and medium low to medium high, spicy floral and herbal hop bouquet. Like, come on. <laughs> like, let's, I get that there's a, a range from one brewery to another, but it's just like, do we really need all these mediums to medium high and moderate low to medium high, spicy and floral? It's very confusing when you're first try- trying to wrap your head around mm-hmm. like learning, um, right. not, like, like, like trying to be, you know, learning for uh, the Cicerone test, like studying. Right. It can be very um, uh, intimidating. So I, I don't know the right answer to like make it less intimidating, more approachable, but I know that is something that I always kind of struggled with when I was first getting into it. Right. Um, also commercial examples, I would love to be able to beef those up and separate them by country to the best yeah. of the ability because yeah, that, would that would be really be, helpful. That'd be really nice for my studying tool. That's a very selfish thing I would like to do, but it, it, <laughs> it is helpful, you know, right. maybe a little extra work, not, not the end of the world, but that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, and you know, that is a good point with, again, I, you know, I understand exactly what you're talking about with now, you know, having, I guess like six years or so longer than that, six years, at least of like beer judging like the first time I took my, uh, the BJCB tasting exam, I remember writing like medium to medium high, because that's what I had read in the style guidelines. And then afterwards, somebody was like, yeah, don't do that because it's not what you're tasting in front of you is not medium to medium high. It is medium or, you know, or medium or, high. or a lot. It's not or a, a little range. or yeah, slightly. It's, it's, or, this or yeah. it's that you're not tasting a range of flavor. Yeah. It can be intimidating because you want, like when you're first looking into it, you're like, is there a code? Like, is there something to medium versus medium high versus moderately high versus like, and there's not, if, and I know we've said this before, there is no secret code. Right. (laughs) It's just, I don't know what it's meant to be, but. Well, and it is, it's again, the guidelines are designed for you to be looking at, at a competition while you're judging beer. So in that context, it is very helpful to say like, no, this is, this is high bitterness and this should be medium to medium high. I think this is too bitter, Mm -hmm. but that also takes a lot of experience to sit down and be able to taste a beer and say, this is medium, you know, this has medium malt sweetness and high perceived bitterness. And that, again, that just takes time and it takes experience where if you're reading the guidelines, it doesn't always make a lot of sense. Exactly. And, and my medium might be your medium high, True. which is also why you have several judges judging a beer at a time and coming up with consensus yeah. scores. Um, because chances are, I'm not going to say this is low bitterness and you're going to say this is high bitterness. Like that, it does happen, but not very often. But yeah, I, 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 I would like a, a section of like other popular styles that maybe aren't popular in the United States, but popular in this country. Right. Brewers Association guidelines do a fantastic job about that. And I remember having a conversation about that a few years ago. I forgot what style they were introducing, but it was, it was some sort of Austrian style that when is, when it was explained to me, I was like, isn't that just a Vienna lager? And they were like, no, it's not. It's its own style and it's extremely popular. And we're seeing more brewers brewing the style and it's, it's similar to a Vienna lager, but it's not a Vienna lager. It's its own style. And yeah, I think that that would be 
really helpful because the other thing that happens too is people see the guidelines and a lot of times might be learning about a style for the first time and decide they want to brew that style based on the guidelines. And I know I was like that with Sati reading about it when the guidelines came out. I was like, man, that sounds pretty good. I like, I would maybe like to try to brew it. And then when I would see it places, I'd be like, oh, I read about this beer style. I want to taste it. And so if we're not telling people about these beer styles, then they don't want to brew them or they don't, you know, yeah. see them. Or, or think about it. Like right. if, if you are a brewer, go, let's say you're just, I need an idea. I'm going to pull up my BJCP app. I, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Yeah. Well, I'm like having brewer, um, you know, what is that where brewers block? Like I'm trying to think, you know, what's going to fit well with what we got. And I just don't know. And I just pull it up. If, if that app had 50 more styles that were not included in it, that would be 50 more beers that all of the brewers in the United States would, would make because right. everyone is doing that. I promise you like, oh, yeah, absolutely. what can we do that's new and that's next? And you don't, you only have so much time to really think about things sometimes and effort to put into it and time is money. You got to go, go, go. But I don't know anything about Chinese loggers. I don't know anything. Like I remember when we were doing a podcast episode for like Scottish or uh, Scandinavian beer and my research, oh my God, there's so many other styles over there. Right. And I was just like, I don't know anything about beer. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah, don't know because, anything. <laughs> yeah. We've all been, and, and I'm not saying that it's, we're not unique in this, you know, and BJCP is not unique in this. Um, and there are like other, I, I do think the United States is very insular in that respect of, you know, we've all been indoctrinated that we're the best and everything we do is the best. And so we don't give as much importance to things from other cultures, particularly, obviously, if you haven't heard of it, mm -hmm. you don't know where to go look for the information. But yeah, we've all, the brewing industry has been very Western and very white and very male for a long time. So long that everyone has forgotten that, yeah, there are other people brewing different kinds of beer out there. And also it might not look like beer brewing to us, but that doesn't make it any less yeah. a brewing, you know, a brewing practice or brewing. exactly. And I will say one interesting thing I learned in my UC Davis class, um, the, the applied sensory class that I did in a lot of my homework, I would address these issues of, you know, who gets to decide beer styles, who gets to who to decide the lexicon you know, what words we're using and what would happen if we allowed not necessarily, well, one, I think crowdsourcing is an option in terms of writing beer styles, mm -hmm. uh, but kind of democratizing the process. But then two, what does it look like? Maybe there is a Brazilian fruit that, you know, perfectly describes whatever new hop has, you know, mm -hmm. has come out of the Pacific Northwest, but nobody has that frame of reference to be able to say, this is exactly what this tastes like. If we're only asking the same group of people over and over and over again. Exactly. And even with the, with something like draft lab, you know, like I, I love it. I think it's a really great tool, but even when they were developing that lexicon, you know, it's sent to experts within the industry and that leaves out a lot of different palettes because it's pretty homogenous industry. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting pretty homogenous palettes tasting and doing these descriptors. So what, you know, what does that look like? Is it something like, 
democratizing it, like crowdsourcing beer descriptions. And that was a question that I had posed in one of my homework assignments. And the professor said that they have actually found across cultures, flavor descriptors are pretty similar. So if we say something tastes grassy, somebody in a different culture is also likely to say that it tastes grassy. So the differences may not be as fast as we think they are. But I know like anytime I watch, like we were talking about watching like salt, fat, acid, heat. And, you know, when she's in like the Yucatan and has like all of these citrus fruits that I've never heard of before, yeah. like that's on the same continent as me. Yeah. That's, that's not like, this far off place. Like I, I conceivably would be able to get these things yeah. with a very little effort, but I didn't even know they existed. Yep, exactly. There's so much of that. There's no reason to not include other people, even if other countries and, you know, all around the world, even if we do think things will be similar for that reason right there. Right. Everyone has their own special dish, fruit, spice, you know, whatever. And their spice might be similar to a spice we know of, but I don't know that unless, you know, I know that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Or something like cinnamon, you know, in our, in the, in the United States culture, cinnamon is a dessert right that's something that used for dessert where something in like an asian country that's used as a savory spice mm-hmm. exactly. and so yeah it's it's i don't know what the answer is yeah. uh, i don't think it should be a group of five dudes who get no. together and you know and actively keep other how, people from contributing how do you uh become uh, who's who is this group how do you become this group how, how, how do you get involved like can you are they open no like, they're not open okay they're they're not I, open i get that uh, i i have asked and i have been roundly told no we do not need help from anyone we do this cool maybe yeah. we should just all stop putting so much emphasis on it yes and well and like competitions and cicerone and Obviously, we they, obviously they will not. But in an ideal world, if we could fight with for the good causes. <laughs> right. But then what does that look like if, you know, if we're not using these guidelines, if even if you're trying to create something just as kind of a protest, right? Like it's not going to be that like Munich Hellas is a style, right? <laughs> and, yes. And, uh, you know, like now all I can think of is word of spirit with Munich in the name, but you know, like route beer <laughs> is a style American IPA is a style. So it's not the styles are necessarily the problem. We're just, we're just canceling. We're just canceling BJCP. We say no more styles from white men. <laughs> we are canceling you BJCP. Right. right. Well, and you know, it's, it's like what we talked about in our sugars episode. It's like the, these aren't specialty sugars. Like mm. they're, they're different kinds of, you sugars. just don't, you're just a dumbass. Well, and don't, don't exoticize it just because it's not (laughs) your culture. You're just not, yeah, you're just not familiar with it. So you think it's rare or. Right. Specialty. specialty. Yeah. And it's not, it's like, there's a lot of people, probably more people who use it than people who don't. And yeah, I mean, I guess I would just put out in the universe to people who have roles in developing these sorts of things is to consider that. And, you know, it, it, we've learned a lot this past few months about how people see themselves and see others in the industry and who's willing to consider that 
you know, not that they're bad people, but they have been acting in a very um, sheltered kind of world where you're allowed to do these sorts of things. And if we're trying to move the beer industry away from that and towards being more inclusive, these are the kinds of things that need to fall, right? These are the kinds of things that need to change because, you know, we're, we, you and I are going to be satisfied to continue being dictated to by the same group of people based on what they think is important. And I don't mean to at all suggest that they're not qualified to do this because they absolutely are. But yeah, you know, you need to have other people. It needs to not be the same five What happens when they are no longer able to live on this earth because of old age? Right. That was a very strange (laughs) way to say that. But yeah, exactly. But that's, that's the thing. There's like the in group and the out group and it's There's not going to be a sort of issue. It's like, how do you recruit your employees if you only ask your friends or, you know, other people who look just like you, you're going to continue to only employ people who look and act just like you. And, you know, we all have to be willing to, to move away from that. Or maybe something like this, you know, this is kind of a microcosm for the brewing industry. Maybe they say, no, we're not interested in that. And then that's also an answer, you know, and that's also a data point to move forward from and decide, okay, well, what does that mean in terms of, you know, guidelines? How do we, how do we do create our own system of creating beer style guidelines? And it doesn't have to be better, but it does. Well, I shouldn't say it doesn't have to be better. If it's more inclusive, it is better, mm-hmm. right? We're all better off for that. Um, so no it just sounds, sounds like we need to do this. And uh, yeah, we'll just start one by one. Rewrite this one. Yes. It's a guy. It, it, it seems like a big undertaking. You know, though, I, again, I, I really don't want to only come across as if I'm beating up on people, especially people who aren't here to defend themselves or offer answers to some of the questions that we've posed here. Um, There is, you are able to send the BJCP recommendations for beer styles. So if there is something that you think should be included, again, you can send them the recommendation, kind of a power dynamic thing. Again, um, they're not going to reach out to find new beer styles. You have to Mm -hmm. do the work. Um, But I did, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that they do have instructions on their website. If you think something should be included, how to submit that suggestion. So you can find that on BJCP.org. So I will be fair and say there is a way that you can give them feedback. Well, start, sign me up and start being a little keyboard warrior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. um, They're already used to getting like multiple bullet point emails, um, responses for me when they ask me a question about like, what do you mean gatekeeping? Um, So they're definitely used to seeing well, yeah, good. <laughs> in this 10 bullet point, multiple page email, I will outline everything in detail for you. Um, so yeah, I think that is, that ended up being um, a little bit more. Thank you, Rachel. You're always very oh, you're um, indulgent of me when I get my mash stuck over these things, but these are the kinds of things that matter and the conversations that we need to be happening because 
yeah, you know, this is something we should we should be looking at all of these institutions in the brewing industry and we should be asking them, what are you doing to be more inclusive? And they should have answers. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have answers, they should tell you what their plans are. And if they haven't thought about it at all or they don't think it's important, then it's time for us to change our focus to developing new institutions that serve all of us. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Thank you for coming to my False Bottom Girls TED Talk, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, we will wrap it up. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of False Bottom Girls. And um, thank you, as always, to all of our patrons. You can find more about our Patreon by visiting our website, which is falsebottomgirls.com. You can also find us on social media at False Bottom Girls on Instagram and Facebook. And please, topics you would like to see. Uh, I would really, really like to hear a community conversation going on around some of the things that we discussed today in this episode, because I think it's important um, that it's not just me screaming into the void or I guess screaming at Rachel over Zoom (laughs) over over some of these issues. And I have seen in recent days, some different conversations happening around, you know, making language more inclusive. Should we be describing hops as new world hops? Um, you know, is that the most culturally sensitive way? Um, and, and, you know, again, there's always solutions. We should all aim to be um, specific in what we're trying to convey and also do that in a sensitive and respectful way. Um, So yeah, I'm really interested to hear what people have to say, hear their thoughts. And like I mentioned, you can also find information on the BJCP's website to reach out to the leadership, to reach out about, you know, style guidelines. Um, If you're a member of the BJCP, you're a member and your feedback matters. Um, If you're not a member, your feedback still matters because I'm guessing if you're in the beer industry or the home brewing industry, um, in one way or another, you are interacting with things like the style guidelines. So how can we make those better? And, you know, giving people the chance to make them better once they know that that's um, what people want to have happen. So yeah. thank you, everyone. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> this has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the Bruin world go round.